Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. Brad Wilson, welcome again to another broadcast of Loving the Christ Life. We're so happy you could be with us today in this exciting study that we have going on from Warren Litzman called It's Jesus, Just Jesus. What a great study this is. The response has been tremendous, and we're so happy that you're enjoying it. This is podcast number 177 and part six of this special study. Let's get right into it. Here's Warren. Now then, is everybody happy? Don't make any difference. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Take your Bible, if you will, and turn to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. I want to begin reading verse 29. For as much then as we are the offspring of God. Don't you love that wording? That's something we don't speak very much of today. But everybody that's saved, everybody that's born again is the offspring of God. At least two times Paul uses this term in his epistles. That we are not just children of God, we're direct offspring from God. You see, a lot, of, a lot of people call themselves children of God that are not birthed by God. It's just the terminology. I think one place in the Scripture it refers to Israel as a children of God. And that's not a truism. Because Israel never were the children of God. They were created by God. And the world believes that everybody created by God is a child of God. That's not so. You can't be a child of God unless you have a father. Created people have no father. They're created by God, but He's not their father. You remember the ordeal that Israel had over that in John 8, where they were arguing about fathers? And uh, Jesus got so irritated, He said that Abraham is not your father, the devil is your father. Uh, you can't be a father till you birth a child. Now, you can be called anything at any time, but you're never a father till you birth a child. And Israel was never birthed by God, so he was never their father. But when the Scripture calls us offsprings, that's directly the fact that we are a spring off that father. We are sprung off that father. We come out of that father. We're a part of him. So I like that word every time it's used. That's what happened to you. You're an offspring of God. You were were born again, birthed by God himself. And so the Scripture rightfully calls you an offspring. But let's go on. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we might not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold, silver, or stone graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness, and here's the line we want to look at, by that man whom he hath ordained. I read all these verses that you might let that stand out for you. By that man whom he hath ordained. The whole world revolves around the man that God hath ordained. 
I thought it was unusual that God called Christ the man. But then it comes to me that once we have been rebirthed by God, by the God seed that is in us, which is Christ, then that God seed has become a man through you and I, a, as it were, manifested as man through human beings. This was God's original purpose. God never intended that human beings exist without Christ in them. When He created human beings in His likeness and image, the whole intent was that they would be livers of a God life, Christ life. That was His intention. Otherwise, God would have never created us in His image and likeness. That's a very simple thing, but can you see through that? You were created by God in an outer sense and in a mind sense to possess a God life. Well, then can you imagine how confused this world became whenever Adam disobeyed God and took on a nature that was contrary to his creation? It was contrary. Paul two times used that very word to speak about how things that were not of Christ were contrary to the human being. Well, do you know what's been wrong with you and I ever since we came into this world? Until we accepted Christ as our Savior, our life and our way of living were contrary to each other. They didn't fit. They couldn't fit. Because we were created in an outer sense to be like God. In a mental sense, His likeness, we were created. And then when Adam fouled up the works by disobedience in the garden, we had a nature, a sinful nature to enter us that wouldn't work with the likeness and image of God. So Jesus Christ was planned by God from the beginning to be the fulfillment of the human being. There were certain things that had to happen before this could take place because no Israelite ever had that fulfillment. As much as we like to talk about the righteousness and the holiness and and the power and the glory of an Israelite, their whole life was contrary to their creation. And it will be like that until they accept their Messiah in the millennium. Israel will always be a contrary people. Have you noticed that? See? She is a very contrary nation now. I don't know if anybody will ever be able to help Israel out until Jesus comes back. But the reason why Israel is contrary, she has not been rebirthed. She has not accepted Christ. She, in fact, rejected Christ as her Messiah. So that only pushed her further down in the mire of being contrary. So 
So take a look at yourself. Think about yourself for a moment. You came into this world in the image and likeness of God. You know, some scripture says that God is only spirit. But uh, there are other scriptures that say that God walks, God hears, God sees. One place said He smells. So He seems to have a lot of human attributes. And so that's image. That's outward. We are created in that same image. I suppose when we get to heaven, as awful as we look to each other down here, we're going to bear the image of God up there, and He'll look at all of us like a good father and say, well, they're my sweeties anyhow. Likeness. We had a mind in our creation that was capable of accepting the things of God. Nobody can ever say, however wicked they are, that they cannot understand the things of God. Nobody. That's in their natural creation. Nobody can ever say that. What happens is the mind gets so spoiled and messed up that things that sound like God and look like God and feel like God take over the human, like Far Eastern religions and a lot of so-called Christian cults and so forth. But you were created in mind to possess the knowledge of the Lord. That's aside from having the Holy Spirit to teach you. You were created by God in His likeness and image. So what was lacking in the human being? A nature. A nature was lacking. You had, you had no nature when God created you. That was in His plan. His plan was that you would come to the desire of a God nature. But what happened, Satan took over right away and you had a Satan nature in you. And every one of these little babies that are born has that same Satan nature in them, awaiting the day that they will be rebirthed. That's the key. That night when Jesus looked at Nicodemus and said, Nicodemus, you must be born again, he was not talking religion. In fact, religion was far from the subject. He was talking about the completion of the human being. Nicodemus, you are the highest in Judaism. You're a smart man. You're this, you're that. But Nicodemus, you're incompleted as a human being. You're not complete. Standing before Nicodemus at that moment was the completion of the human race, the person of Christ. Nicodemus didn't know it. So Jesus said a very hard thing to him who already knew all there was about Judaism and the law and Israel and so forth. He said, Nicodemus, you cannot see or enter the things of God until you are born again. What a statement. We haven't gotten that. Isn't it ironical that the highest person in Judaism at that time, could be told that by Jesus, the Son of God, and until this day, 
No Israelite or Jew believes that. Furthermore, would you believe that the majority of people under the Christian name do not believe that? And that the majority of Christians who have been born again do not know what it means. And furthermore, get irritated when I talk about how important it is to be born again. Because Jesus said to Nicodemus the important thing, that you are created in the likeness and image of God, but the real you in spirit, the real you in nature is incomplete, and there must be a rebirthing in order for you to be a complete human. So for that statement, let's sum it up simply. Every person in this universe that is not born again is an incompleted human being. Now don't go off telling everybody that. But the fact is, they're not all there. <clears throat> and the worst fact is, a great number of people who claim to be born again don't know what it means. So the world doesn't really know what a Christian is. So here's the way it is. God made you originally to possess Christ. You were never made to be a you as a you. You may have developed yourself into being a you as you. But you were never intended to be that. Now you can only be you who you are if Christ is the life. So I have to tell you something. You say I talk different. You say I'm out of bounds. You say I'm stupid or don't know what I'm talking about. But I'm going to tell you something. God never intended there would be people who lived on this earth that were not born again. Because He never finished His plan until human beings are rebirthed. You can criticize that. You can laugh at it. You can do what you please with it. But I promise you, in the annals of eternity, this will be a known fact, that from the moment God did two things before time started, chose us to be in Christ. There it is. You have to have Christ in you before you are what you ought to be. Second, the Lamb to be slain before the foundation of the world. The crucifixion of Jesus. The crucifixion of Jesus is what it is that makes possible the rebirthing. Can you understand that? Think of all sin offerings and blood offerings that were made by Israel in the Old Testament. Think of it today. A fellow told me yesterday that, uh, uh, who was it? it? must have been Bodery who told me that they were still offering animals in the Muslim world and that in uh, the place he comes from, uh, this last season, 
They kill cows. Several cows killed right out on the streets. Blood everywhere. That never changed a person. That made them feel religious. And I have to tell you, feeling good about yourself, feeling religious, feeling anointed, feeling uh, high like you can get in a good worship service has nothing to do with a new birth. Has nothing to do. And this past year, uh, we, we've had an Indian tribe in the United States that offers in literal sacrifice somebody on a cross every Easter season. Kills them. And because they are in a special state as a tribe, nobody can touch that. But see, humanity has done everything it can to try to make up the gap, to, to do something about what's lacking and missing. So you have these, these unbelievable religions around that are all trying to do something. What, what are they trying to do? Trying to get you to believe like they believe? Partly. Trying to get you to their heaven or happy hunting ground? Partly. But what they're really trying to do is within themselves make up this big gap there is between the creation of God and the rebirth of a believer. See how simple that can sound? That's what life is all about. Jesus didn't say, Nicodemus, you're in a bad fix. You can be born again. No, He said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Why? Because you're still an incompleted human. You know what you ought to be. So try to get it fixed in your mind that all that I'm saying to you is really not some idea I come up with. It's not even something that Paul came up with, though Jesus gave it to him. This is something that was in God's thinking before time started. That the human being would have to be in Christ. And that the only way that would work would be to kill out the old nature. Now, religion missed that. So religion has spent all its time, thousands of years, religion has spent trying to give you rules and regulations and laws whereby you could kill out that subversive nature that's in you that keeps you from being who you really are. God already had a plan. He knew from the beginning what He had to do. He knew that the day would come when every human being would have to have on God's part a killing of that old nature, that sin nature. There had to come a time that it was done. There had to be a way to do it. And so the same son that was to be the life said that I'll be the death. And God's plan was complete there because true life comes out of that death. Except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die. It abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Don't you see it? It was all planned from the beginning. The main thing that was planned was that Christ must be the life of the creature I create, but I'll have to get rid of an old nature first before I can put a new nature in. Before I can birth in a new nature, I must get rid of the birthing that was illegitimate. You see, when Adam and Eve believed what the devil said, 
there was birthed in them an illegitimate nature that didn't fit their creation. I don't mean to be simplistic about it. Take a look at our world today. Generally, our world and today and has been for centuries run by people who are incompleted human beings doing whatever they can to fix this gap for the rest of human beings. Try to make a good place for them to live. Try to work it all out. Try to put it all together. That's why civilization is a failure. Because real civilization hinges on human beings being what the Creator intended that they be. So take a look at history. From Adam until Jesus died on the cross, the world was full of war, murder, havoc, kingdoms were destroyed, All sorts of things happened. Why did God let this happen? Why didn't He come on the scene in the Garden of Eden and change Adam and Eve right there so that this world could be an entirely different place? Well, I'll tell you one thing. Adam never asked for a change. He never repented. We've no record that he fell on his knees when God found him in the garden naked. He didn't fall on his knees and say, God, I made a miserable mistake here. I shouldn't have done this. I'm sure if he'd have done that, God's grace would have been sufficient. But we have no record of that. And from that time on, the old nature inside human beings ruled them unto destruction. It ruled them under destruction. How long did God let it go? Until He was safely prepared to allow His Son to be killed. Until He was sure that every I had been dotted, every T had been crossed to an iota, Everything that was necessary for human beings to know that they could not exist without this new life. He did all He could. He waited 4,000 years of our time. And then the second great thought of God's original plan took place in the mutilation of the body of Jesus of Nazareth. What was destroyed there? What was really destroyed in that body? The old nature was destroyed. You were in him. That's when it was destroyed. When you were born again, immediately, automatically, everything that took place on that cross 
took place in you. Just that simple. Everything. Everything Jesus did at that cross instantly happened when you said, Lord, forgive me my sin. Take over my life. Just that simply, the whole thing was put on. Now that irritates a lot of people, especially preachers, when I talk like that, because that's an against the law statement. But I'm going to tell you why I believe it. I believe God looks at every sinner through the death of Christ on the cross. And God says, My son paid the price. If the sinner's insincere, if he doesn't mean business, he's going to pay for that later. But if he is just in all his weakness turning to me, my son paid such a price, I can allow him to have it. See, that's what happened in, uh, where was it, Acts 16, when the jailer fell at the feet of Paul and said, What must I do to be saved? No churchanity, no doctrines, no denominationalism, no catechism, no rules, no regulations. Paul simply says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. How could that happen? Because the price had already been paid. If that jailer don't mean business, if he's lying, if he accepts and don't mean it, if he says it and doesn't live up to his word, that's not God's fault. Jesus paid the price. And just the simplest desire, he could be saved by simply believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, somebody says, we're going to get a church full of people that are not really saved. Well, you should be told they're already like that. Somebody said, if you preach grace, you're going to have a whole lot of people living in sin. We already got that right in the church house. It's already there. So a message is not to be preached because it works. A message is to be preached because it's God's Word. You understand it? I always get irritated. And somebody said, oh, I believe that Scripture and it really works. As if they had a special line to God and did something to God to make Him make it work. No. It's God's Word. Works. You don't have to say it works. It is God's Word. So my point is simply this. That God had to complete human beings. How did He do it? He did it with a man He ordained. That's the way... Paul puts it here in in Acts. The man whom he hath ordained. Did you know that the Christ in you was commissioned by God to be there? Do you know that the Christ in you is ordained by God to be your life? That this is not some thing I dream up, some supposition, some fantasy thing. That Christ in you is ordained by God to be in you. He's there. Let's trace this down. Get your Bibles and let's look at some Scripture. Go first to Romans 8. We've got the famous Scripture in verse 
28, I want to talk about verse 29. It says, For when he for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Ah. Do you get it? Some of you need to get this in your thinking. It'll help you. You may be a great faith believer or a holiness believer or whatever believer. You may think your belief makes a big difference, but I'm going to tell you something. That God has predestinated your life to have certain issues in it, good and bad. CNS game. He has proposed that those things that happen in your life... That's what the word predestinated means. Remember, I've told you several times now, predestinated does not mean predestinated to heaven or hell or to be saved or unsaved. It means that everyone that is saved is now under the jurisdiction of God. Predestinated. What does it say here that you're predestinated for? You're predestinated to be conformed to the image of His Son. Well, you didn't get that when you first read it. You didn't get that when the preacher first preached it. Maybe you don't get it now. So let me tell you, the next hard thing that comes your way or even a good thing that comes your way that perplexes you, consternates you, upsets you, just look up and say, Why, Lord, what are we after now? See, He's planned all that. Somebody said, well, I thought the devil did it. Sure. Whose charge do you think the devil's in? Who do you think controls the devil? Well, I don't know about that. Well, you better because you're always running around saying, God, take care of the devil. Well, who do you think's in charge of him in the first place? Predestinated to be conformed to his son. I tried to say that this morning, and all I said, that God works in your life. He's going to work in your life. He's not going to stop working in your life. Ever since you've been rebirthed, He's going to fix you like He wants His child to be under the auspices of what you have learned and become a part of and been in all your life. He's going to use all of that to His honor and glory. He's going to conform you to His Son. That's what He's doing. That's what it's all about. You're not going to escape it. You can be ignorant that it's happening. You can go off in another direction. Somebody's going to come along and say, if you get enough faith, you won't have this trouble. Good. You need, you need to grow in faith. But if it's a God thing, if it's God predestinating you to be conformed to His Son, you're not going to just wipe it away. You understand that? I've told you before how God deals with us and how we deal with God. You know, when we get a big problem, all of us say, Oh, the Lord's going to answer it. The Lord's going to take care of it. The Lord's going to be in charge of this. And you run around, you read books, you pray, you fast, you get a hold of people who pray. You do everything you can because you've got a real problem. You need help. And when nothing happens, you know what you do? 
Your testimony is, well, folks, I finally had to turn that over to the Lord. Well, what in the world were you praying for? (laughs) So we are conformed to the image of His Son. Why? That we might be just like the Son that is in us, the firstborn among many brethren. Who is the firstborn Son of God? Jesus. He's the firstborn. And now we're conformed to the image of that firstborn's birthing. Praise God. I like those verses. Go with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 23, 1 Corinthians 1, 23. But we preach Christ. I like that statement there. We preach Christ crucified. Uh, of course, that's what he had to preach because he has said over in uh, the next chapter that he's determined to know nothing save Christ and Him crucified. So what else could he preach? Unto the Jews a stumbling block, unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. But it's in verse 24 that we see what we need to see here. Christ is the wisdom of God and the power of God. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. How deep does that statement go in you? Dear friends, ultimately, it isn't how much power you have. And it isn't important how much wisdom you have. Because Christ ultimately is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Jesus. Just Jesus. Not you. Just Jesus. You may have a lot of formal education and Christ in you will say, well, I may use that and I may not. We'll see. Christ is the power. Christ is the wisdom. You see, I'm talking about Another lie, not Pentecostalism. Pentecostalism says, you better get the power. You better get the knowledge. But until you know Christ is birthed in you, that's what you do. Once you know that He's birthed in you, then it's His power. It's His wisdom. Coming through you is Christ as your wisdom. Christ as your power. Let's read on here. Verse 25, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, and not many mighty, and not many noble are called. I have to make a comment about that 
verse because people always come to me and say, why is it that my preacher's not preaching this Christ in you message? He's too strong. Somebody says to me, why is it our denomination doesn't believe the in Christ message? It's too strong. In fact, it's so strong and the preachers are so strong, they don't need Jesus. They don't need Him. They can drop their rules and regulations without Him. They can have you living by their little precepts and ideas and, and messages without Him. But do you see what is said here? It says here that the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. What's behind this? Paul got the message here. Why in the world would God put Christ in believers and then turn around and depend on the believer's wisdom and power? Why would He do that? Oh, I used to preach it the other way, so I have a right to talk like this. I know the difference. I used to preach that people needed power. They needed the power of the Holy Ghost. I never talked about Christ being life and Christ being power because I wanted men to get it. I wanted men to have it. I wanted men to think they're strong, they're powerful, they're greatly anointed. But that's not the gospel. So Paul is saying here that God's wisdom is stronger than men and that God's weakness is stronger and the power of men. See, I'm talking about another life. I'm talking about another gospel. I'm talking about a gospel that is separated from everything else in this book because that's not the way God dealt with Daniel. That's not the way God dealt with David. That's not the way God dealt with Jeremiah or Isaiah or even Moses. No, it was their power. They were powerful, great giants. That's why I draw back when people uh, try to applaud me in some way. It's just Jesus. There's no me aside from Jesus. And there's no you aside from Jesus. Don't you see? The rebirthing has brought us to a place to where the life we now live is Christ. But I should read on here. For you see, verse 26... You see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men in the flesh and not and mighty and not mighty and not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen you and things which are now. I got my Bible so Crossed up here, I can't see it if I don't watch it closely. To bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. No human should glory in the presence of Christ. Does that mean a church meeting? Nope. That mean a high-powered prayer meeting? Nope. The presence of Christ is never separated from you. 
Because the presence of Christ in you is determined by your mind knowing who you are as a believer. Who you are as a believer. Well, let's go to another portion of Scripture. Look over at Galatians, the third chapter. Galatians chapter 3. Verse 27. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ to put on Christ. Now, let's deal with the word baptized. This is a common word by the interpreters, and I want to explain it to you. It does not mean water baptism. Some places it does, but it does not mean water baptism when it talks about spiritual things. When it says, as many of you have been baptized into Christ, no water could do that. So water is not involved here. Separate that from your thinking. Why is the word baptized used? I use the word placed. When I rewrite any of these verses and and, uh, paraphrase them, I use the word placed. It says, for as many of you as have been placed into Christ. But being placed into Christ is not a word that's significant of the depth of it. Because baptism literally means completely under. Completely immersed. And so the way that line should read, for as many of you as have been completely placed in Christ to the very depth of the placing. See that? To the very depth have put on Christ. Put on. That means you have manifested Him. You've manifested Christ. You have put on Christ. You've manifested Him. That's because you have been placed to the depth. You have been immersed in Christ. Now what am I trying to do in this meeting? I'm trying to help you see that you've been immersed in Christ. You've been totally immersed. God didn't hold back a thing. This is not a meeting where you come today, you'll get a little. You come back tomorrow and you'll get more. I'm here every six months. This this six-month meeting, you're going to get this much. But when I come back, you're going to get the real thing. No such thing in, in grace. When you got saved, you got the whole thing. The whole bucket was dumped on you because of Calvary. Now... You don't know. You probably only have a thimble full of knowledge. So that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about getting something. We're not talking about if you are faithful, you're going to get more of God. I detest that statement. People come to me and say, well, I want more of God. I look at them and say, there is no more. Forget it. There is no more. You didn't come into this thing because you wrote out a pink slip and, and the teacher accepted it and you, you said, I'll do better. And she said, okay, I'll wait and see if you're going to do better. That's not how you got to be a Christian. You got to be a Christian immediately by a rebirthing. You understand that? A birthing doesn't come in bits, parts, and pieces. As I've always said, there's no little bit of pregnancy. You either got it or you don't got it. 
You're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. So Christ is either in you or He's not in you. If He's not in you, you're yet unsaved. If there's anybody like that here, all you need to do to be in Christ is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Accept Him as your Savior and quit trying to save yourself and the whole bucket will be dumped on you. So you don't get a little here and a little there. We have attributed to God that He's a, a peace broker. He breaks off a little piece here and He breaks off a little piece there. No, you got it all. What is, what is wrong is you're ignorant. And what it is, you're learning a little more here and a little more there. I think, well, who was it? Isaiah said line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. That's not God's grace. That's your knowledge. You're getting a little bit more knowledge as you go along. Knowledge is hard to take. Because to get more knowledge, you have to change your mind. You understand that? That's why some people don't like the things we say in the Christ life. Because they're not willing to change their mind. Why won't they change their mind? Because it hurts. It hurts to change your mind. I tell alcoholics this. They think they're alcoholics. I said it's going to hurt you to change your mind. You can say you're an alcoholic and keep taking a drink here and there and getting in trouble. But I say you're going to have to change your mind. You're going to have to say, I'm not an alcoholic. Well, they said if I say that, I won't be able to drink anymore. (laughs) You got it. You finally got it. There's no little bit of God. Somebody told me not long ago, I went to a meeting and I tell you, God was really real to me. But here lately I've had so many troubles and trials. It just seems I can't find Him anywhere. That sound like an ordinary statement to you? See, we have no concept of Christ living in us. We have no concept that we have been rebirthed. That we're new creations. We're still hanging on to the old. and It isn't hard to find a preacher that drags you back to the old. I mean, they'll drag you right back. We got them in America. They're all on the radio, I think. They'll say, if you'll just send me an offering, you won't have any more trouble. Aren't you glad people are not like that in Africa? All right. We're in Galatians. Third chapter. Verse 27, For as many of you have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You begin to manifest Christ. The deeper you give yourself to Christ, or the deeper you go in Christ. Now remember, Christ is there in His totality. we got another verse of Scripture. I don't know whether I'm going to cover it here or not. But it's a verse of Scripture that says that, uh, uh, that we may grow up in Christ, as, as if it is that Christ is the one that's growing, not us. So the major thing I'm trying to do to you right now is to help you in the mind to see that it isn't you growing into Christ. It's Christ growing into you. That God hadn't given you a little bit of Christ 
And when you get ready, He'll give you more. He's giving you the whole thing. If He hasn't, grace is not grace. And the cross didn't work. You are getting the blessings of God because of the cross. And when you say, well, I didn't get it all, that's like saying, well, He didn't really die enough to give me this. So I'm going to become a, I'm going to become a person that is paying the price. I'll pay the price. I'll fast and pray and I'll give all my money. A fellow said to me the other day, I've had the temptation to sell my houses and lands and give myself totally to God. I said, what are you going to do with your houses? I'm going to give them to God. I said, that's junk. God don't want it. See, we have a fuzzy notion that we do something to make the cross complete. See? We think I can do something and whatever wasn't finished at the cross, I'll finish it. Somebody was telling me this the other day and that they were having a hard time getting it all worked out, that it just didn't work good. And I asked him if they'd seen the Mel Gibson film, The Passion. They said, oh, no, I couldn't. I wouldn't look at that. People told me it was too horrible. I said, I'd like to change your mind on that. That's what you need. You need to see how much they beat him. You need to see why it was he didn't fall over dead when he walked that road to the cross. Because the image is there in the mind, the natural mind. The image is there. He could have died at any moment. Why didn't he do it? Because he was making a way for you to be successful as a Christian. He left nothing undone. He paid the price. He paid the whole price. So don't come back and say, well, I think there's something I need to do to just make this work. No, you need to trust Him. You need to trust Him. He paid the price. You put on Christ. You manifest Christ. Verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Neither bond nor free, neither male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Now that doesn't mean that there's no difference between male and female. What that means is that with Christ in you, Him operating as your life, there is no difference. There's not one Jesus for males and another Jesus for females. You know, that's kind of happening in our world today. The thought just comes to me. They're trying to separate male and female. And uh, in fact, the new Bibles coming out are going to have the Holy Spirit or nature or somebody as the mother of God and God the Father and all of us the children of the Father and Mother of God. See, no mystery there. They tried to get rid of the mystery. The mystery is the heartbeat of the plan of God, Christ in us. The hope of glory. That's the great mystery. And our new Bibles are going to bring out all these kind of thoughts. They got rid of every kind of thought. Uh, somebody come to me the other day and said, what do you think of this? And showed me a Bible that, uh, that uh, it didn't say just the children of God. It said the boys and girls of God <laughs> and all such as. Well, a lot of that's all right. I'm not 
condemning every little thing, but that is a little thing. But what I don't trust is that when they change one thing, they're going to change another. And that's exactly what they did. They kept working on this mystery until some of the Bibles cut it out. Like the Living Bible, which was the best-selling Bible for a period of time. They cut out all in Christ statements. And it doesn't take long until what it is you believe is manipulated by somebody else. I'm trying to tell you that Christ is already in you. The Holy Spirit is already there. And if you need a good Bible, get a good old King James. Not a new one. Get an old King James. Uh, there are new Bibles printed, but get the original King James because it has all the wording there without any changes. It has all of these and thous and, and uh, old English word. Take it. Swallow it. Because what you're getting along with it is the truth. Unchanged. Try that on. See what happens. All right. You're all one in Christ Jesus. That's the thing that only a message can bring us to. I've been coming here for going on 11 years now. And a thing is happening. Not in a big way, but it's happening. Because that's the hardest thing yet to take place among a corporate group of people. And that is, we are slowly becoming one. It's getting to us. It's overwhelming our old self, our old nature. Our mind is changing. Now, there'll be some people who come to Christ's life who will never change their mind. I've got them everywhere. I know that. There's a percentage that never will. They just like to hear it or like to be there or something. But there's a majority of people that are having a change in their thinking. We're becoming one. Do we all have to think alike? No. Because it's not us as Christ. It's Christ as us. And that means that the Christ in us is going to use what it is God created called us. See, that's, that's a beautiful thing. God's going to use what He created for Himself. He created us in His image and likeness for Himself so we could bring Him glory. And when Christ becomes a completed part, then He has the expression He needs. He doesn't have everybody alike, but He has everybody one with Christ in them. The one life. So what does this verse suggest? He doesn't have Jews and Greeks and Italians and Germans and Irishmen and Indians all trying to think alike. No, He created them differently. What He has in every one of them is the same nature. And that nature is going to come out of every one of them differently. But Paul says, when that nature starts coming out of you, you're no longer a Jew, even though you were created to be a Jew in the flesh. You're not a Jew anymore. You're not an Irishman anymore. You're not an Indian anymore. See, that goes. That's got to go. Because that's what in your mind formed who you were. You are no longer that. 
so there are no longer any Jews or Gentiles or Greeks or so forth. We're all new creations. We are a new race of people with a new Father. Oneness, oneness centers in us being the Christ that is in us by different expressions. See? We're all different expressions. No, none of us are going to be alike. Love accepts expressions you may not like. But those expressions you don't like are also growing. When you see somebody that's a Christian and you don't like what they do, let's just believe they're growing in grace. If they're not, they're going to have enough of the CNS gang to make them wish they had. You understand? Because His purpose is to bring us to a oneness in Christ, not a oneness in nationality. Nationality is swallowed up. Ethnicity is swallowed up. There are no blacks, no whites. There are no Jews or Greeks. There are no Americans and Britishers or South Africans. What it is, we have one nature within us that's made us one, and we're all different expressions by our original birthing. So don't think that when it comes out of you as a South African, that that's who you are. No, you're Christ using the way God birthed you in the natural to bring Him honor and glory. That's what He intended. And if I don't stop at some place, there is no end. So I'm going to stop right there. God bless you and love you. We've got a whole afternoon to look into these matters. And I trust that your heart and mind is open and that the Lord will bless you in it. And you're dismissed to go and eat till 3 o'clock. Well, we've got to stop right here, but don't fret because we'll pick up next time right where we left off. It's Jesus, just Jesus. That's the study from Warren Litzman going on right now, and it is terrific. As always, we'd like to invite you to go to our website and read all about us. It's Christ-Life.org. Christ-Life.org. Read all about us, and be sure and visit the bookstore and look at some of these wonderful materials that Warren left behind that you can have in your own home. We'd like to thank Robbie Litzman for allowing us to go into the archives each week to bring you these great messages. Also, Valerie Hill does our Twitter account, Tammy Laycock does the weekly podcast notes, and this program is produced weekly by Teresa Ferraro from the Christ Life Fellowship. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ life.